the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray, and we welcome you to episode 37, where today we're going to be talking about maybe the most mysterious object in our universe, black holes. So black holes, I think, are a really cool topic. It's so cool. It's almost as cool, if not just second, to the Big Bang, one of the most important objects in our universe. And today we're just kind of going to break it down, how they form, what they are, and why they're so cool. Exactly, exactly. And it's, it's highly probable that you've heard of this term before, but you don't exactly know what black holes really are. Hopefully we're going to break that down today and uh, yep. just have a really awesome conversation. Before we do get started, though, with the contents of this episode, we have a couple of announcements. So this episode is going up on a Monday. And, yep. you know, that's just because we usually post on Fridays. But the Friday that just passed, Ray and I had a lot of work, right? We had like three problem <laughs> a lot, sets. A lot, I think, is an understatement, to yeah. be honest. We, we had three problem sets due on Friday. And I had a test, a quiz, you know, whatever, all that stuff. So we put it off until, until today. But, you know, episodes coming out from now on Monday. Because it'll give us time during the weekend to record instead of trying to record the podcast while we also have deadlines and things like that mm -hmm. so you know usually like yeah. uh sunday night is fine so yeah from now so on i think from monday. now on yeah so we're just gonna change it to a consistent monday morning instead you know wake That's up right. the week the exactly. first day of the you week gotta, with you, the math and physics podcast, have a nice podcast on the drive down yep all right so in other news we are at uh 17 hundred followers 1784 to be exact on spotify that's so amazing. that's that's awesome and uh also we are getting very close to twenty five thousand downloads yes, I was, oh i was gonna mention that yes yeah. sir 20 we're, we're i think already at 24 we should hit 25 by like soon pretty soon i think yeah so let's see it i mean it's gonna be on the instagram account we always you know update everyone about how we're doing and our follower status and stuff like that. So go check it out. That's right. And any event that goes on, we do post on our Instagram because we're not going to make like a two minute episode to be like, hey, guys, <laughs> this is going on. <laughs> so if you want to keep up with the news, make sure to go to our Instagram math.physics.podcast on Instagram. We don't have a Twitter because neither of us use Twitter, but we might get around yeah. someday to making a Twitter. To be honest, yeah, I, I've, you know, I'm, it's, it's kind of funny that you mentioned it because I was thinking about it just yesterday that if we had a Twitter account, I think it would be really cool because like, you know, we could post some math and physics updates too. Like, you know, mm -hmm. if it's uh, some astronomical event happening today or, mm -hmm. you know, any physics fact or something cool we could also do on Twitter. So I've always thought Twitter account would be kind of nice for the math and physics podcast. That's right. We have... We have tons of avenues of opportunity mm -hmm. that we can delve into in the future. Yeah. But for now, it's mostly just uh, exam prep season. So recording oh. podcasts in between, 
It's a good, uh, yep. nice little break. So uh, for sure, yeah. Let's uh, let's get into this episode. All right, black holes. Black holes, everybody. Okay, so first of <laughs> all, to put it simply, okay, a black hole is just a lot of mass compressed in a very small area or space right so i'm pretty sure i've seen uh, this was like an instagram post or something so it might not be true but i saw that if you take the earth and you compress it into the size of a bow a billiard ball a marble actually a marble okay well that's that's pretty close pretty close yeah (laughs) but if you compress it down to that size which you know, is very hard to imagine, right? Like imagining the size of the earth on its own is already very difficult to do mm-hmm. because, you know, it's gigantic and we don't realize how gigantic it is because we live our everyday lives just walking mm-hmm. around. It appears flat to our eyes, right? So it, we don't really think about the fact that if the earth was a giant glass ball, you'd be able to look across you know you'd be able to look down and across to another country underneath Mm -hmm. you but the problem is it'd probably be way too far and you wouldn't even be able to tell that anything is there anyways Mm -hmm. (laughs) the the point i'm trying to say is that the earth is gigantic but if you could just imagine all that mass being compressed down to an object that you can hold in your hand that would create a black hole and so for um for an actual mathematical value, um, quick, uh, quick fact actually. So when I was really, you know, intrigued with like all black holes and astrophysics and stuff like that, um, I was doing this one lesson where the exercise was to calculate the radius of the Earth at which it would become a black hole, and the actual value is eight millimeters. So yeah, a marble ball is kind of something how you can think about it. But for those uh, you know, number guys out there, eight millimeters, the entire Earth's mass mm. in a size of eight millimeters, and then it would become black hole. That's I right. Think that's pretty crazy. And so the reason why black holes are so interesting and mind bending is because you actually can't see a black hole. Try to think mm. about that for one second. You can't, you cannot see a black hole. The definition of a black hole and the reason why we call it a black hole is because all of the light that passes the event horizon does not escape the gravitational pull. The gravitational pull is so intense that to escape the black hole, you would have to go faster than the speed of light. In comparison to the Earth, the escape velocity of the Earth is 11 uh, meters per second. No, that's not 11 uh, 11.3 kilometers per second. 11 kilometers? Okay. So, yeah, yeah, 11 kilometers per second. Pretty fast, you know? Uh, So, 11,000 meters per second to -hmm. escape the Earth, right? To escape yeah. a black hole, you need to go faster than 300,000 meters per second. Which kilometers. Is... It's kilometers? 300 meters oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. per second or 300,000 <laughs> kilometers per second. Sorry, sorry. 300,000 <laughs> kilometers per second. Got mixed up with the units. But <laughs> the point is, that is impossible. And so all of the light that 
your eyes would, you know, theoretically absorb from the black hole is not even being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Is not even being like propulsed towards your eyes. That is, that is not even, that, that's not the right word. But I don't you, think that's the right word. You know what I mean. what you're trying to say is that none of the light that goes to the black hole or tries to reflect, none yeah, of it can yeah. reflect. Oh, I think it's radiated. Yeah, yeah. The, All of the light oh, okay. that, that, that would be radiated from the black hole does not even get emitted in the first place, right? And mm-hmm. so what you actually see, like everybody knows about the, the black hole, the picture of the black hole, right? Mm-hmm. What you're actually seeing is light from other objects near or you know not necessarily near but also objects in the background that are being bent by the gravitational field of the black hole and then being sent into your eyes wait wait that's not necessarily true like in the picture like the m85 and all of that all the orange stuff around it is the accretion disk of the black yeah well those are those are other objects no, right. no, it's just objects that's orbiting the black hole. That's yeah. what the accretion disk is. Yeah, it's but just I'm, that the I'm, temperature is so high that they glow. I know, but... And it radiates light. But, and Ray, because it's outside of the event horizon, you can see it. But, Ray, I'm saying, I'm saying the light you're seeing is not the black hole. I'm saying it's other objects that are orbiting the black hole or around the black hole well yeah orbiting yeah but it's it's not like the far galaxies or anything that's getting bent that's not necessarily well, no what that, we're seeing that's not the accretion that disk picture. but if if we have a black hole it would bend the light from yes, galaxies it would, it around would. so so those sources actually contribute to what you see when you're looking at an image of a black hole mm-hmm. which we only have one of but there are no, we actually have two. Oh, there's we have two? our we have the, our black hole sagittarius a and we have M87, which is a thousand, thousand times more massive and a lot bigger than ours. Yeah, so we well, actually have two pictures. So there are many, many artists' renditions of mm-hmm. black holes that you can that you can find, and they are, you know, semi-accurate. I guess the <laughs> the the best ones you can find are the actual pictures. I mean, and- believe it or not, though. The uh, the picture of Gargantuan from Interstellar, like the very famous picture of the black hole, you know, I think a lot of people might know it if they see it. Mm-hmm. Um, that picture actually is a very realistic model of what a black hole would look like up close. And it was actually worked. I, I think we mentioned this before. It was actually worked on by a Nobel Prize winning physicist like that movie was helped by Kip Thorne. And he actually helped construct how the black hole would look. So it is, in fact, so if you want a very realistic artist's rendition of what a black hole would look like, like really up close, believe it or not, Interstellar gets it very right. Mm-hmm. And so, very yeah. <laughs> recently, we changed our logo, the Math and Physics podcast oh, logo. Transition. Yeah, to a, a basically like a line art recreation of of a a black hole with a no of of gargantuan we did a line art recreation of gargantuan the interstellar one i mean it's not you know there are many black holes that look like that but i mean obviously yeah gargantuan is one of them and it has like a curvy accretion disc and there's a very good uh very good i mean it's an excellent video made by veritasium where he explains why gargantuan looks how it looks and why it Mm -hmm. has this weird like curvy thing you know in short in short it's just the light being bent around the black hole but i Mm -hmm. recommend you go watch and watch that video he explains it very well so talking actually about light being bent around a black hole i think we can get into a little bit i mean 
we haven't even actually got into how black holes form yet. I think we're <laughs> yeah. getting a little ahead of ourselves. <laughs> but as you were talking about how light is gravitationally influenced by the black hole, right? And then you said the word bending, and I'm like, I think I need to say this. Mm-hmm. So what actually, now general relativity, what Albert Einstein predicted was that, I think we mentioned this again before, that gravity and everything doesn't really exist. It's all just the curvature and how space-time bends. It just bends around massive objects. So black holes are so, so massive, obviously, in also a very small area. So their density is incredibly massive to a point where it literally bends space to such an extent where light cannot escape it. And that's the real reason for why we can't see light. It's not necessarily because of a of a gravitational pull, but it's simply because space is so bent and curved inside of a black hole that light literally cannot escape it because of the way that space is simply curved inside this event horizon of the black hole. And I think we're going to be talking about, you know, event horizons and how black holes form and everything. I think we can, mm-hmm. we can maybe do that. I also wanted to talk to you about um, world lines, right? Okay. How, yeah. um, so we talked about this in class last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't quite remember 100%, but we can <laughs> maybe figure it out on our own. Um, so your world lines are basically, uh, they have like space and time coordinates. And when you're, you know, in the presence of a, uh, a massive object, I guess mm-hmm. you can say, your, your world lines get curved. And so, for example, if we take a satellite going around the Earth, if you draw the like parametrized curve of the satellite going through time, you'd get kind of like a helix shape. Mm-hmm. And so that's mm-hmm. the world line of the satellite. As By the way, a helix, helix uh, I don't know if many people know what that looks like. Right. Um, very easy to search it up, but it's kind of a circle that twirls with a time dimension. So it's, the, it's basically a circle. Like we see orbits as circular orbits, right? Mm-hmm. A helix, or when you add the time dimension, it moves through time. So it's kind of like a circle simply moving back and forth and back and forth through this time dimension mm-hmm. i mean to be honest i think a google search no. of a picture would probably be better i, I think a better <laughs> explanation is just like imagine you have a spring that's what a helix looks like okay to be, to, to be honest that's the that, that's a much better explanation right it, it, it's yeah, just yeah, a spring sure. and you know as time goes on it's just like a point going along the spring so mm-hmm. that's that's the helix shape mm-hmm. and so um if you have a particle um there's like this this beautiful explanation that we talked about um, for for black holes and how black holes uh, kind of switch the space and time kind of uh, like destination of your world lines. I'll elaborate, but basically, yeah, yeah, so, for sure. So if you're you know if there's a particle going about normally, um, the or actually I'll put it like this. Okay, so the, we have a person, right, and his experience is right he goes through time at a relatively you know linear rate just here on earth and his all of his world lines point in the direction of time right and it doesn't matter where he goes spatially his fate lies in 
where his his time world lines point but yeah now if we flip the script right if he he goes near a black hole and he goes into that black hole that that fate basically switches it's now it doesn't matter what happens to his time all of his spatial world lines point into the black hole and there's no way to reverse that right so mm-hmm. you know when you're just living life normally you're dependent on your time and then when you get close to an anomaly like a black hole a physical anomaly those roles actually reverse and now you are dependent on your spatial world lines mm-hmm. so i don't know if mm-hmm. that was a good explanation i mean that was an interesting explanation i think with the world lines i think that was a definitely yeah. a very different you know way of thinking about it and again i don't like i'm pretty sure we got like a, a very very um detailed like comprehensive explanation of what i was actually trying to say but i'm probably butchering it right now but i don't know maybe mm-hmm. maybe you got a an idea of what i was trying to convey there yeah yeah definitely for sure okay so um i think what we can now move on to is something that we've both been definitely waiting for right how black holes form that's right i think that is the coolest part about black holes right so the main part to talk about when we're talking about black holes forming is understanding that there are mainly mainly i'm not saying there are i'm saying mainly there are two classifications of stars right one where the mass is relatively low for example like our sun and that kind of ends up in what's known as a planetary nebula which is basically as the sun continues on with its life since its mass is not very very high it's not really going to collapse into something really tiny so what happens is it sheds its outer layers into this huge kind of cloud of gas which looks like a beautiful nebula for example the orion nebula a lot of nebulae in the sky pictures that we've seen are basically just stars that have kind of emitted their outer layers you know into into space Mm-hmm. And fun Another, fact, yeah, sorry, uh, the Orion Nebula is actually purple because of the ionized hydrogen that Ooh. is in the, that is present in the gas cloud. But continue, right? Yeah. So a, another uh, classification of the star where the star is more massive than our sun. Usually, the um, there's no actual value. A lot of people say it's around two to three solar masses, but the idea is basically for very massive stars. When their fuel runs out in their core, once they're, you know, kind of dying out, because of their mass, the gravity that's acting on that star is so immense that it basically collapses it such that it explodes into what is known as a supernova, right? Now, the mm-hmm. collapse, the, the, well, technically, the explosion is due to simply the gravitational pressure on the outside of the star, and that causes these shock waves that go straight to the core. And when that happens, the core basically can't handle that much pressure and explodes. So when that happens, when the core explodes, basically the entire star explodes. And what happens is the rem- there is a remnant. The remnant or what's remaining from the star is known as a neutron star. From mm-hmm. a neutron star, the transition to a black hole is kind of nice. Parker, I can well, let you take this. Yeah, so I think this is cool. The neutron star is actually being supported by neutron degeneracy pressure. Mm-hmm. And one thing that uh, you forgot to mention, or maybe 
you didn't forget but you know whatever after (laughs) after planetary nebulas uh the stars actually go so this is now in the like um in the category of low mass stars right Mm -hmm. that become like super giant super red giants and then they shed their outer layers become planetary nebulas in this like colorful display and then they go into they transform into a white dwarf and white dwarfs are supported by electron degeneracy pressure and um basically when you become a white dwarf you're pretty much just trapped as a white dwarf right nothing really happens after that you just yeah. you just lose your temperature you become cooler and smaller over time until you just kind of like fade out and when you are a higher mass star Wait, j- sorry sorry just a quick uh just a quick thing when you were talking about electron degeneracy pressure yeah like i don't know if uh, that's very understood so um just a small quick explanation before you continue uh so electron degeneracy pressure is basically the when there are bunches of bunches of electrons obviously protons electrons neutrons in this white dwarf now there is a rule in quantum mechanics known as pauli's exclusion principle which states loosely states that two particles cannot have the same quantum state at the same time. Now, all that scientific jargon aside, what it basically means is that, for example, two electrons, which are two quantum particles, cannot occupy the same space at the same time. So when Parker said a white dwarf is supported by electron degeneracy pressure, what that means is, yes, there is obviously gravity acting on it, but what is acting against the gravity it is simply the Pauli's exclusion principle and the fact that two electrons are so squished together that they cannot get more squished because if they get more squished, they'll violate the exclusion principle and that's just not allowed. So all of the white dwarf's power is basically coming from the simple rule in quantum mechanics. Pardon mm-hmm. continue. Yeah. yeah, so I moved on to the higher mass stars, which you explained mm-hmm. up to the neutron star. Yeah. Fun fact about neutron stars. Uh, this is becoming like an astronomy episode again. Yeah, <laughs> we're it not, actually is. <laughs> we're not really talking about black holes, but we're going to get there uh, quickly. I, just basically, in short, um, once you get to uh, the neutron star, it's this crazy, super dense star that works, that, that uh, gets supported by neutron degeneracy pressure. It, it has an insane angular momentum. It's spinning very fast. It's very smooth at the surface. And when that collapses, that becomes a black hole. Um, mm-hmm. So black holes actually were predicted by Albert Einstein. Here's the insane thing that I think I think people need to really understand is that Einstein predicted that black holes would exist, and and it was kind of a consequence of um, general relativity, right? He said, with 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 my equations and postulates and all this stuff, it is possible that a weird object like this exists somewhere in the universe. Turns out Mm -hmm. they're pretty much everywhere in the universe, (laughs) but the only real evidence that actually proved his claim came out in 2019 take that in last year black holes were proven with a hundred percent certainty when the image of the very first black hole was published now 
a little aside, the the images were actually taken in 2017, and they were you know formally published in 2019. So a little more on the Albert Einstein discovering the black hole. As Parker was mentioning, uh, he found this object, right? Or well, theorized an object that could exist in this space. But how do you really do that, right? So his equations, the field equations, Einstein's field equations, basically what they are, if you search them up, to be honest, you really don't understand much because there's just a bunch of variables and a bunch of, you know, operators and stuff that you don't really get. But the idea of the field equations is to basically tell you how much space-time or space is curved in a specific area. That's, that's the entire essence of Einstein's field equations. So what Einstein found was that there could be an area of space, a region of space, that theoretically, of course, has infinite curvature. Now, obviously, when you released this paper in 1915, 1916, people were like, yo, this is not possible. Like, what, what does this even mean? What do you mean infinite curvature? Because remember, people hadn't even really accepted the curved space at that time. But now, once we obviously know much more about this, about black holes, we call that point of infinite curvature a singularity or a gravitational singularity. And every black hole, all the way at... Well, I, I can't really say bottom, but um, all the way at kind of the center of the black hole, right, exists the singularity, which is a point of, you know, infinite density, zero dimensional, and mm. basically infinite curvature. Again, we've never really seen it. We can never see it because that's just how physics works, unfortunately, mm -hmm. in a black hole. But it exists. And because of that singularity, a black hole is possible. Without the singularity, a black hole wouldn't really be a black hole. So it's kind of a characteristic nature of all black holes to have a gravitational singularity at the absolute um, kind of center of the black hole. Mm -hmm. And one might yeah. ask, why can't we just take a picture of the singularity? Now, this alludes back to our Constants in Nature episode where we talked about the speed of causality. And mm -hmm. we also mentioned that information travels at the speed of light. Nothing can travel faster. And so once you cross the event horizon, which we will talk about right after this, um, mm -hmm. once you cross that event horizon, you can take pictures all you want right you you know the the singularity might be rainbow colored and what well it, well it won't have a color i mean technically okay. it actually just, will have a color because i guess all the light just bends in there yeah right? but, so but, inside but, of the event horizon it'll be all colorful <laughs> mainly just white but yeah yeah but just uh, this is just kind of a hypothetical situation here so the the singularity sorry the singularity might be you know, whatever you want it to be. But the pictures that you take of the singularity won't be able to leave the black hole <laughs> because that information of the picture, right? You might be connected to LTE satellite internet, right? <laughs> but Outside the... <laughs> of a black hole, a satellite orbit. <laughs> no, but, but listen, the, the pictures that you take, that information that you will try to send back to Earth will not even be able to cross back um, cross back uh, across the event horizon. 
right? The, the world lines of that information will all point to the, the middle of the singularity. So mm-hmm. there, there's no point in going to take pictures or to try to experiment on, on what goes on in, in the black hole because everything will just be lost. You know, you might say, oh, well, let's send a satellite into the black hole and then we'll see where it pops out in the universe. You know, I, I mean, if you have that kind of money, go ahead. But <laughs> I wouldn't have my hopes too high that you you'd get anything out of that because you're basically just sending it into the abyss. And then, you know, that's the end of the story. Because Interestingly <laughs> enough, though, yeah. there are, you know, many theories. And I think a lot of people obviously come up with theories here and there. But there are actually many theories where um, a black hole, obviously we've never been in one, so we don't know, but a black hole leads to a white hole in another universe. Now, as ridiculous as that sounds, it, it kind of like, I mean, we can never really prove it once again, unless we go inside one. But for all we know, all the information or some of the information that goes into a black hole could very well be thrown out of a white hole, right? Because a white hole, which is basically just the exact opposite of a black hole, which just spews out matter, a white hole cannot exist if it doesn't have a black hole on the other side, mm-hmm. right? Because if it just keeps spewing out matter, it'll just become a black hole instantly. We've already so, talked about this, right? Did we? I think we have. I mean, uh, I'm kind of getting a deja vu when yeah, I'm saying this. Yeah, because I, I remember talking about um, Hawking radiation on an episode. I think it was the most yes, recent astronomy did. episode. Yeah, Hawking radiation was on our Q&A, uh, wasn't it? Was it? I, don't I know. swear <laughs> someone asked about Hawking... Ra- no, wait, 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 know. I'm getting anyways, confused. Anyways, anyways. Uh, okay, anyways, it doesn't really matter, but yeah. Oh, were you done? Are we done with, uh, ev- uh, yeah, we can now talk a little bit about event horizons yeah, and yeah. Uh, what they are and why they're so important to black holes. Yeah, right? so the event horizon is the the point of no return. Mm-hmm. So every black hole has this this sphere around it where basically if you cross that line, you will never come back because mm-hmm. because that is the distance at which the escape velocity becomes the speed of light. Yeah. Anything closer to the middle, you will just not even physically be able to escape. Mm-hmm. And so the distance from the singularity to the event horizon is actually called the Schwarzschild no, radius. No, 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 no. The distance from the... It, the, the radius of the event horizon is the Schwarzschild radius. No one really knows the distance from the singularity to anything. Well, it's the it's the radius it, of the of the event sphere? horizon. So the event horizon is kind of like a circle on the black hole, and the radius of that is the Schwarzschild radius. Well, I mean that is not exactly what I said. You said the distance from the singularity to the to, to the, the event to horizon. the center. No, I said the singularity to the event horizon. No, no, that, I mean, that's just different because singularity what? is not, well, te- okay, well, technically, if we're looking at it in a 3D model, the singularity is not in the center. It's like all the way, you know, it's kind of pulled down in a gravitational well. It's at the bottom of the gravitational well. So technically, we don't know what? how far, quote, unquote, because obviously distances are all messed are up in that What are you talking about? I'm saying, okay, you, you have a black hole, right? It's going to be okay. symmetrical. Right, so it's like okay. a, so it's like a sphere, okay, and so we place 
the singularity at the in the middle, right? But that's not really what the singularity is, though. It's not. I mean, it's not it, in it's, the middle of it, a black. It's hole. a point in space, no. No, no. The singularity or the gravitational singularity is basically at the absolute cusp of the gravitational well, where where once again it has all of the properties of you know, as I said, infinite curvature and stuff. It can't be in the middle of the black hole. Like there can't be any more space underneath the singularity. You know what I mean? Like if you have a sphere, it can't be the middle because a black hole isn't really a sphere in in curved space time. No, if you but think I don't. About it in curved space time, it's. More I don't know like what a, you mean by like a cone. I don't know what you mean by underneath. I'm talking about. Yeah, again, you have. Uh, I'm, I'm not using the right words because it's hard to say it without like a picture of a black hole. No, but I know. I know like, the picture for example, you, you're, you you're talking about. Listen, I know. Black I know hole the, gravitational well. You'll understand but, it. But Ray, I I know the picture you're talking about. It's where yeah. you have the the thing that goes down to infinity. But I, but that's not like that's. That's like the But that the is where curvature. the singularity is. That's what but I'm saying. The singularity I'm not, I'm not is all the way about, at the bottom. But Ray, listen to me. I, I'm, I'm not talking about the curvature. I'm talking about the location in space, man. Like the, the singularity can't just be like nowhere. It, it has to be somewhere. And I'm saying since okay, the black hole... Okay, but I think hole, the best way to say Schwarzschild radius is simply the radius of the event horizon. Like no, saying but, it that it's the distance from the singularity, I think is just a little confusing then. That's the, that's the same thing though. It's really, it's re- it's really not, man. No, that is literally the same thing. Okay, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a quick debate after the podcast on this, and we're gonna post who won on Instagram. So. <laughs> I don't. Know. Okay, anyways, the the <laughs> okay, radius. So, interestingly <laughs> enough, though, as we're talking about event horizon, something I feel like I should mention is that there are mainly there are actually two types of black holes. One of them is completely theoretical. One of them is realistic. So the theoretical one is the Schwarzschild black hole. And obviously, Carl Schwarzschild actually formulated this from Einstein's theory of general relativity six months after he posted the field equations, which is just insane to think about. Six months after even Einstein hadn't solved the field equations, but Carl Schwarzschild did, which is, I I just think, insane. So yeah, so that, the Schwarzschild black hole is a black hole that that does not rotate and has no electric charge. And obviously, because this was as I said, simply six months after the first, after the release of these equations, he didn't really have much time to work with it. However, a more realistic model of a black hole is known as the Kerr, K-E-R-R, black hole, which is, as I, which is kind of like the opposite, which is a rotating black hole, has an electric charge, and contrary to the single event horizon, it has two event horizons. It has an outer event horizon and an inner event horizon. And this is common with every single black hole. The reason it has two is simply because as it's rotating, the gravity and space-time kind of gets even more mixed up. So it kind of creates a second event horizon after which you can't see anything. But there is one even further down that is even more powerful. And that is, once again, due to the rotation and stuff like that. So those are kind of the main two classifications of black holes Mm -hmm. and there are actually um a different type of classification which is based on the the size and mass so starting from the smallest Mm -hmm. one we have the micro black hole which has a mass up to the mass of the moon and the radius of the approximate radius is 0.1 millimeters 
It's absolutely tiny, but very, very massive at that, right? Next, mm-hmm. there's the stellar black hole, which is just kind of the uh, mid-range, I guess, mm-hmm. L- low, to, low to mid-range mass. It has um, an approximate mass of 10 solar masses, which usually when we're dealing with like astronomical objects, we compare it to the size of the sun, if you didn't know that. Mass, mass, size, radius. Oh, right, right, mass, yeah. the sun. Um, and, you know, sometimes we use uh, radius of the Earth. Sometimes we use astronomical units, which is the mm-hmm. distance from the Earth to the sun. But, yeah, anyways, it's all, it's, it's all just relative distances. So the, the stellar mm-hmm. black hole has 10 solar masses approximately and a radius of 30 kilometers. Next up, there's... And obviously the, it changes from stellar to stellar. It's just this is yeah. kind of on average. It's kind yeah. of like this. And so... Yeah. Next up, there's the intermediate mass black hole, which is uh, 1,000 solar masses and up to um, 1,000 kilometers in radius. And then I finally... Mean, just, the... just picture that though. One minute, I mean, just picture that. Like the Earth, the Earth's radius is 6,000 kilometers. And the this intermediate mass is what? Sorry, what... How many solar masses? The did mass you say? is one thousand solar masses. One thousand solar masses in a radius or in a size one sixth of the Earth. Like <laughs> that is insane to think about. You know, that it's is, very, very, very dense. That very, is very dense. Region so space. dense that uh, you know, atoms are being squished together, and they are, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're more than touching. <laughs> it's just like a like a pudding of 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 atoms and subatomic molecules just floating around being repulsed at this insane energy this insane uh, kinetic and thermal energy and all that stuff but and, interesting uh, fact though uh even though all the atoms and particles and everything is all messed up in a black hole and it seems like it's completely squished together <laughs> even though Pauli's exclusion principle still holds now, you might be like, wait, that's impossible, right? Because all these particles are clearly squished together. Thing is, inside of a black hole, as I mentioned before, space is so insanely curved and so, you know, weirdly set that even though it may seem as if the particles are completely touching each other, they're actually not because of the curved space. So the electrons might, once again, seem as if they're basically having the same quantum number. However, due to the curvature of space, that is simply not true. And Pauli's exclusion principle still holds. So I think that that's pretty cool to think about that, you know, this quantum mechanical principle still holds inside these crazy anomalies such as black holes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. isn't it true that physics still holds right like the physics that we know still holds inside of black holes for i mean i think to our knowledge i I believe so except at the singularity of course of course but i mean technically we do have you know black hole physics like general relativity is all about is all about you know black holes because where newtonian relativity sorry not not relativity where newtonian mechanics you know fails is at these places such as black holes right and that mm-hmm. is exactly where general relativity absolutely shines where you know when we're predicting these black holes 
And general mm-hmm. relativity not only predicted these black holes, but also predicted the gravitational waves that were measured in 2015. I don't think we spoke about it in this episode yet, but also due we to have a merger of two black holes, right? And those gravitational waves were also predicted, once again, by um, Albert Einstein, by stating that because space is curved, these waves, these gravitational waves are not a an object or are not actual waves, but they are the movement, the actual movement of space. And that is where the idea of gravity is not a force. It was kind of born because if gravitational waves and everything that gravity constituents of is simply movements of space time, or in this case, movements of space, it can't really be something that you know, has a force-like property. Anyways, that's a whole nother video why gravity isn't a force, but talking about simply just general relativity with black holes, that's where it basically applies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so finally, <laughs> we have gotten to the supermassive black hole. Oh yeah, we didn't even get hole. to it. True. <laughs> this is the final class of black holes, uh, the supermassive black hole, and it has a mass approximately, okay, from 100,000 solar masses all the way up to 10 billion solar masses. Oh my. And um, the the radius can range from one one thousandth of an astronomical unit, which mm-hmm. is, wait, one second. One astronomical unit is 150 million kilometers. I, I'm so anyways, something like that. It's, and then, it's it's some it's some a lot lot of mass in a small space is basically <laughs> <laughs> yes and uh, you know ten billion solar masses very very hard to imagine oh and and get this you know four hundred astronomical units is um uh, Pluto's orbit is forty astronomical units Ooh. um so ten solar systems yeah so the 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 radius of this black hole is 10 times larger than the orbit of Pluto. Again, that's on, on average, right? On average, yeah. Yeah. And the uh, the images that we saw that were published in 2019, both of them were actually supermassive black holes, right? Now, at the center of every single big galaxy is a supermassive black hole. That's just simply a fact because kind of the, the black hole regulates a lot of the galaxy. Also, dark matter and everything plays a role into it. But a big galaxy most likely will have a supermassive black hole at the center. Mm-hmm. So Sagittarius A, for example, that is the supermassive black hole at the center of the Milky Way, is it's quite large. It's okay. But the other <laughs> black hole that we, that, we, uh, that we observed, which was M87, was absolutely ginormous uh it had a mass equal to six and a half billion suns and only had a 38 billion kilometer radius and people just it's just amazing to think about how these objects can even exist in the Mm. first place but i i believe m87 was imaged slightly before sagittarius a i could be wrong but i believe it was the actual first image that we saw like directly mm-hmm. saw. You know? So uh, the conclusion of this episode is that we are all stars. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I am a what? star. You are a star. The earth, if it was big enough, would be a star. Yeah. And if our sun was big enough, would be a black hole. So 
That is true. <laughs> we 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 hope you enjoy this episode. On, I think this episode on black cool. holes. Black holes are definitely a cool topic. If obviously, uh, if you guys wanna want us to talk more about it, just send us an email. Tell us what to do, and I think Parker's got you with the details. That's right. You can always send us a DM on Instagram at math.physics.podcast, or you can send us an email at uft.math.physics at gmail.com. If you have any recommendations, etc., comments, compliments, whatever you want, <laughs> you can hit us up. Mm-hmm. Also, if you haven't followed us yet, make sure to hit the follow button on Spotify, Apple, subscribe on YouTube, whatever floats your boat. Um, yeah. Hopefully, also, also, we got some we got some really nice emails, by the way. Oh, like, yeah. Thank you to everyone who's been, you know, emailing us. Like I, I read one yesterday where some guy, so some person was like, uh, you know, great podcast. Keep the work up. You know, we love to read emails like that. Like you don't understand. Like yeah. we see an email like that. And I think part like I first of all call Parker. Parker calls me like, yo, check out that email. It's so nice. <laughs> yeah, you know? we, so we love. Thank you to everyone who who continues to email us, continues to support us. We love all of the support. You know, at the end of the day, we're just two guys talking on Discord and <laughs> and putting <laughs> it on the, yep, that's on it. the internet. So uh, <laughs> we we enjoy the fact that you guys enjoy it. So mm-hmm. yeah, we will see you next monday maybe next friday if we're feeling or sorry next saturday if we're feeling brave um yeah but okay the schedule will basically probably continue for monday for a bit for like the next month or so and we can maybe go back to a saturday schedule but mm-hmm. i think for like a good month we should keep it at monday the reason i'm saying a month is because like you know exams and all are coming up which is usually on the week in the week and we have to you know study insanely mm-hmm. hard <laughs> like every university student does so yeah so i think we should continue monday for for a bit all right everybody thank you for listening to episode number 37 of the math and physics podcast i am your host parker and i'm ray and we will see you soon see ya